turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to actually take back up where we left off briefly, where we finished last week in the book of Colossians. Colossians verse 17. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. So whatever you do, in everything you do, whether it's in your work or in your play, the key, regardless of what it is that you're doing, you put the Lord Jesus Christ first in all of your endeavors, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Giving thanks for what? One thing to give thanks for in all things is what God's Word says, but for the fact that you can do the things you're doing, that you, the, the work that you're doing, the, uh, the activity that, that you're doing, uh, give God the thanks for it. Uh, we, are to, we are to thank Him in all things. So whatever you do, you do it in word and in deed. Focused, what this verse tells us, is we're focused on His will, His purpose for our lives. It kind of takes us back to Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with Him in glory. So, in whatever you do, in word or deed, you do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. You do it for His glory. You do it focused on serving Him and loving Him because He's our life. He's our life, understanding that we're not our own, that we've been bought with a price, that we belong to Him. And what a glorious truth that is. So let me encourage you this morning that as you read that verse, as you go about your, your week, as you go about your daily activity, uh, you're focused on the things of God, and serving Him and, and loving Him. Now, I think it's interesting. Matter of fact, it, it kind of uh, gives some real insight into the mind and heart of God as we, we finish chapter 3, well, actually, all of it, and we get to this point, and we have covered some pretty important doctrinal truths when you stop and think about it. We've talked about our identification in Christ, that's pretty important, isn't it? How do we identify with his death, his burial, his resurrection, uh, his glorification, his ascension. We're seated in the, heavenly, the heavens with him. Uh, our identification with Christ, uh, it's, we, we've gone over our personal behavior and conduct uh, that Paul calls out the church in Colossae to do, to, to put off the old man, Adam, and all the sins and the, and the attitude, and you put on the new man, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the attitude. So God's Word is, it, it, he's, he's talking about all these deep and, and important doctrinal truths. And then he drops family relationships on us. These, we agree, these are doctrinal truths, right? The, all we've been covered, our identification with Christ, and the fact that, that he has 
been the head over all principles and dominions and, you know, and, and the all-sufficiency of Christ and, and that we're complete in Christ and all these amazing doctrinal truths. And then he finishes up this third chapter talking about wives submitting yourselves to your own husbands. Husbands loving your wives. Children obeying your parents. I think that's pretty telling of where God places the family. He was talking to the church, the body of Christ, about these doctrinal truths, and then he moves right into another extremely important unit, and that's the family unit. As a matter of fact, I dare say that the church, I mean, that the family is the most important unit of all. The very first words that God ever spoke, he spoke to Adam concerning the family. Be fruitful and multiply with his commandment toward Eve and all the things that, that revolved around family. And so God goes from these doctrinal truths, important doctrinal truths, into um, truths concerning the family. Now, Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, tells us, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit or profit, uh, 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 proper in the Lord. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Not somebody else's husband, by the way. Your own husbands. Colossians chapter 3. Wives, you don't submit yourselves to me or anybody else sitting on that pew with you. Okay? Wives, you submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Look at Ephesians. And remember how we started out? Somebody turn this off. It's not working. So, anybody hot in here? You do realize it's about 100 degrees hotter up here than it is out there. I just thought I'd, I'd tell you. So, anyway, we'll survive. I might even lose some weight before this sermon is over, and that works too. But remember, we started out talking about the book of Ephesians and book of Colossians were sister books that the, the church in Colossae was told to read the book that went to the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus was told to read the book that went to Colossae. And they're so... Thank you. She loves her pastor. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to see me faint. That's um, no, not that bad. Uh, so, so, so there are so many uh, similar... And commands and directives and imperatives in the book of Ephesians that go along with that. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. There's that word own again. Husbands, as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. 
wow, therefore as the church, wow's not there, I added that. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, husbands, before you start going, yeah, I'm going to read something to you in just a second. And, uh, and, it's, and it's serious, folks. Well, husbands, what God directs you, you to do. Now, back to Colossians chapter 3, that verse 18. I want to make sure we understand that women are not below men. Women are not to be subservient to men. Amen? As a matter of fact, what God's Word tells us in the body of Christ, Galatians 3.28, that we're all one in Christ. There's neither male nor female. Women certainly are not inferior to men. Amen? So what is this talking about here, about wives being subject to your own husbands? Folks, within the marriage bond, God has a chain of command. Look at 1 Corinthians 11, verse 2 and 3. 1 Corinthians 11. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Verse 3. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman, uh, head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. That's God's chain of command. And I'm going to tell you, it is a healthy family unit, a healthy family that understands that God has this chain of command, and Bible-believing families are going to want to adhere to this chain of command for the sake of their family. See, God's Word tells us how the family is to operate. It talks about discipline. It talks about chain of command. It talks about all of these necessary things in order for that family unit to be lived in such a way to bring glory to God. There is a chain of command. And part of that is unto your own husbands, as that's proper in the Lord. The word submit, we need to understand what the word submit there means. And by the way, nowhere in the scripture, and if you find it, let me know, but nowhere in the scripture does it say, wives, obey your husbands. It does say, children, obey your parents. Uh, I'm all for wives obeying their parents, but there's a reason, uh, uh, obeying their, their husbands, because it has to do with that, that chain of command. But the word submit or subject is from two Greek words, upo, which means under, and tasso, which means arrange. So wives, arrange yourselves under your husbands as far as leadership in that family unit. 
Again, it's God's chain of command in order for the family to be healthy, in order for there to be an understanding, because, husbands, God holds you responsible, you responsible for the spiritual development of your family. Do I need to say that again? That God holds the man responsible in the family for his family's spiritual development. You have a serious responsibility. You have what should be a frightening, although God's not given us a spirit of fear, but there's still a concerning responsibility in the family. And as the wife subjects herself or places herself under her husband's leadership, she does it according to Scripture. It's wives. It didn't say husbands make your wives subject. The whole idea of upotasso has to do with a willful, voluntarily placement of yourself under your husband's direction. Doesn't say, wives, that your husband is the boss of you. Oh, I'm the boss of you. No, you have the responsibility of leading. It's, it's not about dictating, husbands. It's about directing. Directing. And I am convinced that every husband is going to answer to God. Every believing husband, well, everyone's going to answer to God, but every believing husband, you are going to answer to God for how you conducted your life and your manner within your family and the things that you directed them to do. God's Word says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is proper proper unto the Lord. It is the proper thing to do. Understanding you've got the husband and then the wife is in second command. And I think it's healthy for the children to understand that chain of command. I think it provides security. I think it provides uh, an idea of what God expects, both in the command and, and in the direction of the family, and also, if, in, but even in discipline. All of those things play an important role in what God, how God directs the family. And I'll say this, wives, God has never told you to go against his principles or precepts in order to obey your husband. God has, in his word, I don't think God expects you to go against his precepts, against his principles in order to obey your husband. No amens? Okay. As a matter of fact, I can go so far as to say that Paul is, when, as Paul is writing this, he is talking to believing wives about believing husbands. When Paul is talking to the husbands, he's talking to believing husbands about believing wives. Do you understand in the scriptures, nowhere does the apostle Paul ever tell the unbeliever how to live their life? Nowhere in the scripture. Does the Apostle Paul, in the Pauline epistles, does he ever tell unbelievers how to live their lives? He directs his word 
uh, the Lord's words, as the Lord gives him that revelation, he directs that to believers all through the Scripture. So wives, submit yourselves. Place yourselves under that position of your husband because that's God's plan and purpose. And i got to tell you, it works. It works. The issue comes when the husband starts trying to get bossy and not emphasizing the spiritual leadership that needs that the family needs to, to focus on. Somebody says, well, I think it's interesting that uh, scriptures, it never tells the wife to love her husband. You know, in Ephesians, it says, husbands, love your wives. It tells the wives to be subjected. Uh, Colossians, it never tells. But I got news for you. It doesn't Titus. So you're not off the hook, ladies. In, in the book of Titus, uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 4, it tells the older women, get this, isn't this interesting? It tells the older women to teach the younger women how to love you. So I, I don't know what that says about how difficult we are to love, where the wives have to be taught how to love you, but it, I think there's a whole lot more to that because it also says older women, you teach the younger women how to love their husbands and their children. And it's a different Greek word for love here than it is. Uh, it's not the agape. It is phileo. It's, it's a totally different word for love. And one of these days we'll talk all about that. But that is, that is God's plan, God's purpose. I remember 1970, 1970, a movie came out. And I think this movie, when it came out, I think it really messed with a lot of people's minds, especially a lot of um, married couples' minds. I know a lot of folks who were dating's minds. But there was a movie that came out called uh, Love Story. How many of you remember, you got ready to show your age, remember the love story? Yeah. That was a movie, Ally McGraw and Ryan O'Neill came out with... The, the, that movie, and what was the major point of that movie? Does anybody know? Love means never having to say you're sorry. And I remember even as really, really young in 1970, <laughs> really young, I remember thinking, wait a minute, that's not, that's not right. And I think what they were talking about is, if you love somebody, you're not going to do anything that you're going to have to say you're sorry for. That's not true. As a matter of fact, when you love somebody, what is one of the first things you're going to want to express when you've done something? Oh, unless you're perfect. Unless you're perfect, you know, that, you know, you don't have to worry about this. But since there's not a perfect person in here, you are going to do certain things within your marriage or within that, those relationships where you're going to have to say, I'm sorry. So if you love that person, you are actually going to be willing to say, I'm sorry. So that kind of gives you an idea that the world's whole picture 
of, of what true love is and, and, and relationships are just a little bit skewed. Actually, I will go so far as to say, I don't think we ever should say, I, I want to make sure I get this right. I don't think that we should ever say, I'm sorry. I don't think we should ever, if, if you've done something to harm someone or make them mad, we should never say, I apologize, until we've done what? If I were to do something to you, serenity, you know what, for me to come and say serenity, I am so, I am so sorry. That pretty much lets serenity off the hook, doesn't it? But if you do something to offend someone, what should you do? Serenity, will you forgive me? I am sorry. Now, when you do that, when you ask someone to forgive you, what does that demand? Our response. Serenity, will you forgive me? If she doesn't say anything, oops, I'm in really big trouble with Jeff. See, we'd never just say, well, I'm sorry, and then leave it there. I think in order for, for the body of Christ, the church, in order in our relationship, in husband and wife relationship, it is, will you forgive me? I, I am truly sorry. Will you forgive me? I think that's the way God has ordained it. I think that's the way that God has ordered it in order for us to serve Him faithfully and with effect when it comes to our children and our relationship with our wives. So wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. It is proper. Wives, you submit yourselves unto your own husbands as you submit yourselves to Christ. That's a pretty tall order. But that is what glorifies God. But look at verse 19. Husbands, the women were thinking, well, when are you going to get to him? Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Be not bitter against them. I'm telling you, husbands, the spiritual welfare of your family falls upon you. It falls upon you. As a matter of fact, Tim, did you get that thing I sent to you? I forgot to ask you about that. Get that ready because I want to show something concerning husbands and loving your wives. It's something that Serenity sent to me this week, and she didn't know I was going to preach on this, so she just happened to send it. And I thought, bingo, wow, this is really good. Husbands, when Tim gets it up there and he puts it up there, I want you to, to look this over because it is so absolutely accurate. Matter of fact, I could show this and then and, uh, pray and we could go home. But we're not, but we could. That's how important this thing is for us to realize. But husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Yeah, Ephesians even goes into much more detail. 
Verse 25 of Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. Wow. How did Christ love the church? He sacrificed. Merciful, gracious, all of those things. That's how Christ loves the church. You're to love your wife even as Christ loves the church and He gave, itself, gave Himself for it that He might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. He provides direction. There, there it is. Dennis Rainey said, Far too many husbands fail to recognize that what your wife wants and needs most from you is your concern for her soul. That's deep, folks. That's important, husbands, that we understand. It's not the big house, the flashy clothes. It's not the fast cars. It's not even the slow cars. It's nothing material. That's what God wants husbands to realize and recognize. Is it what your wife wants and needs most from you is your concern for her soul. Your spiritual leadership within your family. How important, how important that is. But back to Ephesians chapter 5 real quick. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men, you talk about caring for the church, you read that and it describes that the Lord Jesus cares for the church, which is his body, which is his body, not his bride. It is his body. So men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. All of that has to do with the fact that we are the body of Christ. God views the relationship between a husband and a wife as one body, one flesh. You see the importance that God puts on that family, that marital unit. Matter of fact, we need to understand that the church is the body of Christ. The church is not the bride. That's not what it's saying there. As a matter of fact, who is the bride? Israel. Over and over and over and over again, God uses that metaphor concerning His relationship with Israel as about, I am, I am your maker, your husband. Uh, the whole book of Hosea is about that. You want to get technical? The new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven 
he tells John, come here, I'm going to show you the bride, the lamb's wife, and he shows them the new Jerusalem coming. All of that with the, 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 the gates and with the names of the apostle and the, all of the things that are tied to Israel. We're part of the bridegroom, Israel, and that relationship is the bride. They enjoy that position. We are heirs of God. We are members of the body of Christ. We are part of the bridegroom. And so here in Ephesians, that's what it's describing. And just as Christ loves his body, the church, husbands, you're to love your wife and to view your wife in that same, that same manner. Folks, that's deep doctrinal truth that we need to understand what God expects love love our wives and what's interesting is the Lord uses the word the Holy Spirit is putting this on Paul's heart they use the word agape or agapo and it's it's interesting study just to go through the scripture and and determine is which which word is being used for love is it uh, is it phileo uh, and there's so many different Greek words uh, for, for love. Uh, when God tells the husband to love his wife, he uses the mo- one that's the most godly, the one that is the, the most truly endearing, he uses the word agape or agapo. Agape love is love that expresses Agape is love that expresses itself not because the object is lovely, not because the object, in this case your wife, deserves to be loved, but because they need to be loved. That's, that's what agape is. Agape, is to, agape love is to will the good of another. That's what agape love is. Husbands, that's the way God says you're to love your wife. That you want to do her good all the days of her life. That you want to see her blessed. That you want to see her betterment. That is, that is love to the nth degree. Phileo is more of a friendship. Philadelphia, uh, the city of brotherly love. Eros. Um, uh, Storge, it's, it's a love that has to do with, with children. Uh, there's a love of hospitality. All of those words are used in Greek for love, but none of them come close to emphasizing that word agape. And that's the kind of love that we need to have for our wives. Sacrificial, forgiving, merciful, gracious, kind, as Christ loves the church. Back to verse 19. You are to agape your wife, agapo, your wife, and be not bitter against them. Wow. I can't tell you how absolutely important that aspect of your relationship with your wife is. And be not bitter, be not harsh, be not sour against them. 
I remember even as a young kid, there was a phrase that used to just cause the hair on the back of my neck to stand up, stand out, or stand up too. I, and I don't know why it affected me a long time ago, but I hated to hear somebody refer to their wife as, well, that's my old lady. That has always bothered me. Don't say, don't call your wife your old lady around me. Or, even worse, well, let me go get my old ball and chain. I can't tell you how demeaning that is. Be not bitter. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 says, In a believer's life, and again, Paul is talking to believing husbands about believing wives. He's talking to believing wives about believing husbands. And Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 says that there's no room for bitterness in a believer's life. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Christian husband, that includes your relationship with that beautiful, precious individual that God brought into your life in order to be a blessing to you. With all bitterness. Do not be bitter. Hebrews 12 verse 15 warns about a root of bitterness that springs up. That root of bitterness springs up, causes trouble. It causes or tends to to destroy that spring of bitterness or that bitterness that springs up in a person's life. And when I say that it tends to destroy, husbands, listen to this. It destroys both parties. That root of bitterness, it, it destroys, it hurts the one that it's directed toward, and it also harms and destroys the one who harbors that bitterness. That's what we need to understand in our daily lives. Be not bitter against them. Can I do a commercial real quick? I want to do this. Ladies, if you have purses that you're not using, if in your closet there's just a stack of, of purses and your husband over the last few years has so graciously and, and lovingly told you to get rid of those things, uh, Faye and I have a place where they can go. There is a young lady out in, in the Herman area, New Haven, Herman, Owensville. She has started an organization called Touch of Hope. Now, this lady was abused and, and by her husband years and years ago. Years ago, when she was, she was young, she had young children, and so she was abused. Spousal abuse is real. It is, it is terrifying to think of the, the uh, spousal abuse that goes on. And so Julie McCullum has an organization where she collects purses. And in these purses, she puts personal hygiene items and she puts different things, everything from lipstick to deodorant to shampoo. If a woman has to leave her house and she has to go to a shelter for her safety, 
a lot of times they have to leave without, barely with the clothes on their back and with little children on their hands because the husbands are bitter and the husbands are angry and the husbands are just mean. Well, Julie has this group and, and money is coming in in order for her to buy all of the stuff that a lady might use. But if you've got purses and you don't know what you want to do with them, they take these purses, they fill them full of good stuff, and then they give them to these ladies. And that, I mean, that doesn't solve the problem, but you'd be amazed at how that helps. So starting next Sunday, we're going to have a box. So bring your purses. Uh, I'm, I'm not talking to you men. At least I hope I'm not. Uh, women, bring your purses that you're not using so that we can give them... It, it, it's a, a lot of help to these, to these ladies. So anyway, uh, it's called Touch of Hope. So let's, let's do that. But husbands, be not bitter. Be not bitter toward them. Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is the will of for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Children, obey your parents in all things. For this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. I don't see any children. They're all downstairs except for Blake. But that's okay. Blake's a man. He's a man. And he's, he's well-pleasing. I mean, he, he obeys his mother. I know that for sure. But children, obey your parents. Ephesians 6 tells them... Uh, 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. First scripture verse we taught both of our girls is to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. They are to obey. Um, verse 21 says, fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Don't provoke, don't pick on your kids. And, and what that's all talking about, and again, it shows you how important the family unit is. Talk to the wives, talk to the husbands, now talking to the children about obeying their parents uh, in all things. Again, because fathers, you're responsible for them. Uh, but it, it, it says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger lest they be discouraged. You would be surprised, though maybe you wouldn't, how often you talk to children and their number one complaint when you're counseling with them and the thing that you finally, as you're counseling and as you're, as you're trying to get them to open up, the thing that causes them to be somewhat bitter or somewhat hostile or somewhat angry toward their parents is because they are depressed because they can't do anything right. You ever had, you ever seen that? Where no matter what the child does, it's not, uh, not enough. It never rises to the father's standard or the mother's standard. And that's what God's word is telling, telling the fathers there. Not to do that. Not to, not to provoke your children to anger lest they be discouraged. It gets to the point where they are depressed. They can't do anything right. There's constant criticism. No matter what they attempt to do, they are put down. They are criticized. They're, they can never live up to their standards. And so what that does is it causes them to be depressed. It causes them to be discouraged. And it causes them to give up and go, I don't need this. 
And what happens? They get rebellious. They get rebellious. And what you have to do is get way down to, to as you're talking with them, to find out what, what she, she used to be that four-year-old, and now she is a 14-year-old that I can't do anything with. She's lived with criticism all of her life. And she's never been able to measure up. And Father, Father, it says, don't provoke your children to wrath. The next portion of that has to do with servants. In today's vernacular, today's view, it's talking about employees and employer relationship. Because folks, the Bible never condoned slavery. Never, ever condoned slavery. The reason, the only reason that slavery was abolished in Western culture is because of the church. It's because of its stand against the evil, demonic practice of slavery in every group, every color. And by the way, so just so you know, there's only one race. That's the human race. One race, the human race. Eternal lives matter. And that's what we as the body of Christ needs to share with a world that is so lost and so mixed up. But God's Word has something to say for employees and employers and their, their relationship. It says, employees, obey in all things your employers according to the flesh. talks about your human employer. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Whatever you do in word or deed, you do it all to the Lord. Whether it be in your family, whether it be in your employment, whatever you do, you don't just do it when the boss is watching. And then you, you, you don't pull an Eddie Haskell. Remember Eddie Haskell? Don't pull an Eddie Haskell. Don't do a leave it to beaver. You, you do it unto the Lord. You don't just work when he's watching. You don't try to do a good job just because you think he's going to catch you or she's not going to catch you. But you realize no matter what you're doing, it, you're doing it unto the Lord for his glory to be his testimony. Your heart's desire should be to do an honest day's work for an honest day's wage. You know, I've, and I've always felt like that. One of the things that I was taught is, and, and growing up, is if, if a man has hired you to do a job, then if, if you're not doing that job, if you're slacking off, you are stealing from that man. I hope your mamas and daddies taught you that too. But if, you're, if, if, a, if a man hires you to do a job, you better be doing that job and not slacking off. Because if you're slacking off, you're stealing from them. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about that, in, 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 that the employer, it goes into that also. Not to be deceptive in the work that you're performing for that person, that individual, but you do it as unto the Lord with sincerity with sincerity. All of this, all of this, focusing on 
who you are in Christ, the example you're wanting to set for Christ, the testimony you want to have for the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, verse 25. Let's start with verse 24. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he that doth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he has done, and there is no respect of persons. No respect of persons. There's no favoritism with God. No favoritism. See, God expects us to live our lives in such a manner that God is going to be glorified. He's going to be exalted by our rising up and by our sitting down, by our conversations, by our life. God is going to be the one who is glorified. You want to glorify the Lord, wives? Submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. And watch God bless that marriage. Wives, you love your wife as Christ loves the church. And watch how God blesses that marriage. Matter of fact, you know, here's how it works. And, and husbands, you go first, okay? You go first, husbands. Husbands, you love your wife as Christ loves the church. You know what she's going to do as a godly, biblical wife? Or at least that's her desire. She's going to submit. Wives, you submit. And then, wives, as you submit, you know what's going to be easier for your husband to do? To love you as Christ loved the church. And husbands, as you love your wife as Christ loves the church, you know what's going to be easier for her to do? To submit. And wives, as you submit, you know what it's going to be easier for your husband to do? To love you as Christ loves the church. And I'm going to tell you something. Marriage is not 50-50. It is not 50-50. So if any of you are contemplating getting married, this, you're getting a head start on counseling, okay? You're getting a head start. Marriage is not 50-50. It's 100%, 100%. Husbands, you give 100% unto your wife, not expecting anything in return but loving her the way Christ loved the church. You're giving 100%. You want to make, you, you make her so that she really, if she, did, if she didn't go to heaven anytime soon, that's okay because she's married to you. That may be stretching it, but just making her life so joyous that she just says, okay, Lord, I mean, you can come back if you want to, but boy, he is so nice to live with. And wives, you living with your husband where he thinks, did I make the right decision when I said yes to her when she asked me to marry me? Yeah. So you, you are giving. See, then you're both giving and you're both receiving 100%. You're both giving 100%. And you're both receiving 100%. And you watch how God blesses that marriage. And children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Oh, see, God has a plan. He has a strategy. 
He has a method of pouring out blessings on family. In the church in Colossae, they got a full dose of that, just as the church at Ephesus did. But all of this is based on the glorious truth that you belong to Christ. That you know Him as your Savior. That you recognize Him as being Lord of Lords. That you recognize the fact that He has saved you and by faith you've believed that He died for you, that He was buried, and He rose again for you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And we thank you for what your word tells us concerning how we should live. Father, we thank you for this owner's manual. And Father, may we search the scriptures, may we apply these truths to our our marriages and to our home life and to our work life and to every aspect of our lives. Father, desiring that whatever we do, whatever we say to be done on your behalf, in all things, glorifying you, Father. May that be our effort. May that be our desire. Now, Father, once again, as we close this morning, I just pray if there's someone here who's never trusted Christ as their Savior, Father, may they understand that the invitation is wide open. Father, that you are calling them to believe today and that you will save them, make them your child, make them a joint heir with Christ. Father, forgive them of their sin, change their life, make them a new creation. Father, you will do all those things as they come to you believing. Father, we just pray these things here today in that precious, precious name. In the name of Christ Jesus, who's Lord of all. Amen.